And thank you, ladies. I appreciate uh, that song. If your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 11, we'll look at a lot of scripture uh, here this morning. Thank you for uh, praying. I have, uh, in the last 60 hours, I've had about four or five hours of sleep. Um, not been able to uh, do very well with that. So I'm sort of running on fumes this morning. Guys, if you can turn me up just a little so I don't have to work quite so hard. Uh, please, so if I happen to fall asleep in my sermon, just turn out the lights and just leave quietly. I'll be fine, and uh, somebody will come get me tomorrow. Almost every Sunday of the year, I, uh, I receive a text from a pastor in Jay, Maine. His name is Chris Grimbless. Uh, some of you may know his kids. I, I think you probably know them. Uh, Brother Grimbless has been here for men's conference and youth conferences, things like that, over the years. Um, and, and usually very early Sunday morning, I'll get a text from uh, Pastor Chris. And there's almost always a scripture verse or a portion of one in there. Uh, he assures me that he's praying for me. Oftentimes these days he'll inquire how I'm feeling and so forth. But every single text message that I have ever gotten from that man ends with the same words. Have a great day on purpose. Have a great day on purpose. Have you ever considered that thought? Have a great day on purpose. It's not something that most people wake up and say, you know what? Today I'm just going to have a good day. We just kind of coast and float and hope, you know, all the stars align and the planets are in, are, are in the right positions and, you know, the sun is out and we don't get hit by a car or something like that. And, you know, we're, we're just kind of hoping for the best. But I, I really like that, that thought, have a great day on purpose. Do you ever stop to think that most of the important things in life do not happen by accident? No one has ever climbed Mount Everest by accident. Nobody's just out one day taking photos and all of a sudden they go, well, Shazam, look where I am. I'm on the top of the highest mountain. You plan months and years in advance to go all the way to the summit of, of Mount Everest. You, you do it on purpose. No one's ever built a house by accident. You know, I think I'm just gonna go tinker out in the backyard and see what happens. It, it happens on purpose. No one except Picasso has ever painted a masterpiece by accident. I don't know what he does, did. I have no idea. Uh, I would have to try really hard to be that bad at creating what they call art. But masterpieces happen on purpose almost everything in life. If you think about it, everything worthwhile, everything that's good happens on purpose. The word purpose, when used as a verb to purpose to do something, means to deliberately intend, to resolve to bring something to pass, to deliberately choose a course of action, to purpose to do something. A, a year and a half ago, uh, I was in Meriden in a plaza and I had just gotten out of my car and I was walking into a business and I heard somebody just saying the words, hey, you. And, uh, you know, that's kind of generic and random. And, 
you know, I instinctively turned around and looked and I realized I was the only one out on the sidewalk there. So it had to have been me. And they're sitting in uh, one of those uh, electric wheelchairs. Uh, was a, a pretty good-sized guy. Uh, he had uh, a long gray beard that was all braided like a Viking. Um, he had on some T-shirt with skulls and crossbones and blood and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it was my first encounter with a gentleman by the name of Rick. Rick is actually, for many years, has been a member of the Diablos. How many know what they were? are their Meriden's answer to the hell's angels type thing. Uh, by the way, he's, he's uh, 10 times scarier than he really is. He's really a nice guy. Uh, Rick was injured about 10 months before I met him that day on the sidewalk in, a, in an industrial accident at work. He lost all of one leg all, all the way up. So he's an above the knee amputee on one side. I believe it's on his right side. On his left side, he is a below-the-knee amputee. While he was in the hospital, he developed sepsis, a blood infection, and they ended up amputating parts of eight of his ten fingers at different, at different joints. And so there he was uh, in his electric wheelchair. He has the van with the ramp that comes out, uh, so on and so forth. And he saw me, and he said, how'd you learn to walk like that? So I had an opportunity to tell him about my trainer, Sam, and he said, I'm going to look him up. And uh, a few weeks later, I walked into the gym and sure enough, there was Rick and he became a client with Sam. When Rick was still in the hospital and he woke up after the injury, he got no choice in the amputations to his legs. When he woke up, the doctors were there at his bedside. He was at that time in intensive care. His doctors made a statement to him that, that I personally find careless, but I wasn't there. I, I, I didn't see what they saw. They told Rick, they said, you need to understand you will never walk again. That's, a, that's the wrong thing to tell somebody that just lost a leg. But they told him, you will never walk again. I told you he's a member of Diablos. They're, they're a rough bunch. Rick just laid there and he kept it to himself at that particular moment, but the thought just began going through his mind. Do you want to bet? Do you want to bet? A few weeks after I met him and he had started working with Sam, I came in one afternoon uh, to the gym just for a regular workout and all of a sudden I heard somebody call my name and said, hey you, is hey Tom, and I'm looking around to see who's calling my name. It should have been, hey pastor, but they used Tom uh, and so forth. And there's a flight of stairs at, at my gym that goes up to another workout area with a lot of um, cycles and treadmills and things like that. And there sitting on the top step was Rick. He was sitting on the top step and his crutches were nowhere to be seen and his wheelchair was nowhere to be seen. And I looked at him, I said, how did you get up there? He said, I walked. And I didn't realize that Sam was up there beside him uh, and he was, he was kind of behind the treadmill so I didn't see him. Sam stood up and waved and goes, this is his second time up and he's about to do his second time back down. There was something in Rick's heart that said, I know I was told I'll never walk again, but Rick purposed in his heart that he would. 
Now, we often sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I like that song. I believe in that song. But would you understand that this notion of purposing is bigger than just making a decision? A lot of people make decisions. A lot of Christians, as we sit under preaching, as we read our Bibles and the Lord works in our lives, we make decisions, but we don't often follow through on them because all we did was we made a decision. To purpose is to go a step farther. It means that I am resolving from my innermost heart and will that by the grace of God and with his help, I will do what God wants me to do. In the church at Antioch that we read about, this man named Barnabas went up to this brand new church. It's the world's first Gentile church. There may have been a person that was raised Jewish that had gotten saved that were here, but according to the scriptures, it appears these were Greek people who got saved, and it was a predominantly Gentile church. The world had never seen that. We're used to that. Most of us here are Gentiles who heard the gospel and we got saved. Not at Antioch. Uh, that was a new thing. Well, the apostles wanted to make sure that the gospel was being explained and taught correctly. And so they sent this man Barnabas there, uh, and he was just to check everything out. And the Bible says in verse 23, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, I always take note of that phrase. I mentioned it in our Wednesday night Bible study. When we studied this chapter of the book of Acts, the grace of God means God working in their lives in such a way that it was visible. People ought to be able to see that we're walking with God. They ought to be able to know that God is in our lives. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. There is no such a person. And if you're looking for one, you're going to have to wait till you get to heaven to find one. But we're all a work in progress. But there ought to be something in every one of us that people can say, I can see Christ. I can see the change. We sing the song, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. These are new converts. And when Barnabas got there and had seen the grace of God, the Bible said he was glad. And notice verse 23 again, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Notice he is not just saying you need to walk with God or you need to get close to God. He, he exhorts them. That means he is, he, he's actually preaching. He's doing what I am doing right now. He is with great passion trying to stir them up with the notion that with purpose of heart, you need to resolve within you that you will do whatever it takes to cleave unto the Lord. This mindset seems to be exactly opposite of modern day Christianity where we tend to float around or we tend to just uh, drift along with the current of whatever's happening or we're allowing circumstances to dictate uh, our moods or our mindset, our heart or our faith. That is not the Bible way. We are to purpose in our heart. I'm having a difficult day. I'm not going to lie. The pain is higher than normal. 
A few months ago, I would be at the emergency room right now, but I'm to the place of knowing that's a waste of time. Now you understand that whether this is hurting or not, whether I've had any sleep or not, the sun is still shining. You understand it's still a beautiful day. You understand God is still good. You understand that God still answers prayer. Do you understood that Bill Edwards still came home from the hospital this week from his double lung transplant? Talk about a big answer to prayer. Do you understand that God's still working in people's hearts? Do you understand that people walked in today that were a direct answer to prayer because I didn't expect to see them? But because I know they've been going through a tough time, but God brought them here today. Do you realize that in, in spite of the pain, God is still a good God, but I could totally miss out on the blessing of God unless I purpose in my heart, and I'm not talking about the physical one, I'm talking about in my spirit and my will and my mind, unless I on purpose decide I am gonna have a good day. I am gonna take the time to go above my Napoleon Bonaparte stance, and I'm gonna remember that God still loves me, that, that this is still the Lord's day, and I get to be in church with some of the most wonderful Christians that I've ever met, that we get to sing, that we got to learn a new chorus of the month, that I, that I got to hear a wonderful special today. I can still have a good day, but I'm going to have to do it on purpose. And so are you. We, we can't, we can't just assume things are going to happen or, or hope for the best. There are some things that you and I need to purpose in our heart that are come to come to pass. So Barnabas ta talked to these people, they're brand new Christians. He said, I want you with purpose of heart to cleave unto the Lord. Now I realized I preached on this subject last Sunday, but I found that in the Bible, God has a way of always repeating things. Sometimes he has a way of repeating things verse after verse after verse. There's one of the chapters of the book of Psalms that there is a chorus that is sung. You know how we sing a song and then there's a chorus after it. And the chorus is always the same words, but the verse is different. In every verse of that particular psalm, the first half of that verse is different than the verse before it, but the last half is always the same. For his mercy endureth forever. Verse after verse. It'll, it'll name some amazing at, attribute of God. For his mercy endureth forever. It'll remind us to praise him. For his mercy endureth forever. So God has a way of repeating things, so I don't mind doing it now and then myself. Because the truth of the matter is, there's not a person in this room, including the man standing behind this pulpit, that is as close to God as we ought to be. The book of James teaches us, the Bible says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh to you. In several of the Bibles that I have, they're all, of course, King James, but I have different study Bibles. In several of them, beside James chapter four and verse number eight, I have written the words, I am as close to God as I want to be. I am as close to God as I want to be. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Barnabas taught these people with purpose of heart, cleave unto the Lord. We learned last week this idea of cleaving means to be joined together with. Uh, it means to adhere to, to become one with. We learned that that is a conscious choice. It, just, it doesn't just 
happen. It is something that we purposely do. We learn that it is a constant choice. I may have walked with God yesterday. I may have spent time in his word yesterday. I, have may, I may have spent time before the throne of grace talking to him yesterday. And I did. And it was wonderful. And I heard from the Lord. And I saw God work yesterday. But that was yesterday. Today, I need to cleave to the Lord. Today, I need to spend time in the Bible and time in prayer and I need to walk with God. And tomorrow morning when I wake up, I need to do it again. Cleaving is a constant choice and it's something we do on purpose. See, here's the problem with a lot of believers. We talked about our teenagers going to camp and I'm so excited that, uh, that our kids get to do this year by year, but they'll go to camp and they'll hear a lot of preaching for five days. They're away from television and they're away from the radio, and they're away from cell phones because they have no reception there. Even if they smuggled one in, it ain't gonna work. They're away from their iPad, they're away from movies, they're away from all of those things, and they're in an environment that is just totally built around the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the songs and the activities, and there, there's preaching in the morning and preaching in the evening, and there's Bible memory, and, and, and their hearts and minds are just away from the things of the world and just saturated with the things of God, and they, they, they start growing, and oftentimes our kids come back excited about the things of God as they ought to be, as we prayerfully send them off to do. Same thing happens at youth conference. It'll happen in church in a revival meeting. Uh, we'll have a missions conference and we'll get our, our vision uh, for reaching the lost around the world renewed and refocused and, and, and we'll, we'll renew our faith promise and we'll get a burden to pray for our missionaries. But the problem is it doesn't last long. Problem is it's like it wears off. It's like you take a Tylenol, a couple Tylenols for your headache and you get a little bit of relief, but after a few hours, it wears off and the headache's back. Sadly, that describes a lot of our spirituality and it ought not. It ought not. Barnabas said, don't let that be you. Purpose in your heart that you are gonna cleave to God. By the way, nobody else is responsible for your relationship to God except you. Well, I'd be a better Christian if it wasn't for so-and-so. No, if so-and-so is everything that they ought to be, you'd have another reason not to be a good Christian. I'm as close to God as I want to be, and so are you. And I know that doesn't settle real well with some people, but it is the truth because we have a promise from God, draw nigh to God, and what will he do? He will draw nigh unto you. So on purpose, cleave to the Lord. Wake up every day and say, by the grace of God today, I'm going to walk with God. Doesn't mean you're going to not have any problems today. It does not mean you won't have any conflict today. It doesn't mean you won't get frustrated with something or have a disappointment today, but it does mean that you've already decided no matter what else is going on, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with God. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, that one of the first times that we see this in all of the Bible, in Genesis chapter five, we meet a man named Enoch. He was six generations removed from Adam. Enoch grew up in the time when the world was already turned, it had already turned its back on God. 
he was a preacher and we read, I believe it's in the book of Jude, a little bit of his sermon. His sermon uses the word ungodly like five times about the ungodly turning from their ungodly ways and all the ungodly deeds which they ungodly do. He would not have been invited to Joel Olstein's church, I can tell you that right now. He was a rough preacher, buddy. He just right between the eyes every time. You understand he grew up in a world that eventually God would describe that the thoughts of every man's imagination was only evil continually. And yet he walked with God in the midst of all that filth. He stayed right with God in the midst of all that apostasy. We've got to stop allowing ourselves the, the privilege of blaming our bad day and our bad attitude and our lack of spirituality on our life or our circumstances or our government or our world or the people around us and realize if I'm not right with God, I'm to blame. Nobody else. Nobody else. If I'm not close to God, I'm to blame. Nobody else. If Enoch could walk with God in such a way that God took him straight to heaven without physical death, then I can do a whole lot better than I'm doing right now. Somebody else with me on that? But it doesn't happen by accident. There's a, there's a purpose of heart to resolve. I'm going to walk with God no matter what. Turn, with you, if you would, to Psalm chapter 17. David purposed something in his life. Psalm 17, verse number three. This is a prayer of David. He's talking to the Lord. Thou hast proved mine heart. God, you've tested me. You know what's in my heart. You know whether I'm for real or not. You know whether I'm giving it my best or not. You know whether I love you or not. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. You see me when nobody else does. You know the real me. He said, thou hast tried me, and notice this, and shalt find nothing. David wasn't claiming sinless perfection. David was, if you will, will revealing a desire in his heart. Lord, I have decided I want to live in such a way that as you check me out, I check out. I check out to be real. I don't want you to find fault. I've decided that. But notice specifically the end of verse three. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. There's that word again. It means exactly the same thing that the New Testament word means in Acts chapter number 11, verse 24. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. The Bible has a lot to say about our words. The book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom in the Bible spends more time on the tongue than on any other subject. He talks about our words. The book of James, and you don't have to turn there for sake of time, James writes about our tongues this way. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater com condemnation. In other words, what he's saying in there, don't be so desirous to want to be the grand pooba of everyone and everything. Don't set yourself up to be the one that decides what everybody else ought to be and what they ought to do and all of that. Because you understand, you're going to stand in a greater condemnation before God. He goes on to say, for in many things, 
we offend on. A lot of ways we can sin. A lot of ways we can mess up, okay? Um, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, meaning you never ever, you never ever say the wrong thing. If you never do that, the same is a perfect man. Think about that. If any man offend not in word, never says the wrong thing, never gets mad and the wrong word comes out, never cusses, never lies, never gossips, never backbites, never talebears, none of that. Never says something contrary to the Bible. If any man offend not in word, he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body. So we need to find out who in here has never said something you should not have said. Never. I'm waiting. Hey, question. If you've never said something you shouldn't have said, why are you judging someone else for saying something they shouldn't? You set yourself up to be the master. And do you see by the very thing that we're saying, we're, we're proving the Bible true. Uh, we're kind of a mess when, when it comes to that. James goes on, he said, behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, just a little piece of metal about that wide, in a horse's mouth that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, a rudder, whithersoever the governor listeth, even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. In other words, the tongue is a tiny little portion of our physical body, but oh my goodness, it's responsible for an awful lot. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. My first memories as a human being happened in August when I was three years old. I remember my mother coming to where I was taking a nap and grabbing me blankets of all, blankets and all, rushing me downstairs in the old farmhouse that we lived in. We ran across the driveway and she threw me in the weeds in the embankment across the dirt road from our house, ran back in and pretty soon my little sister was deposited beside me and my older brother, two years older than I was, he was five, was already sitting there. What was going on was our house was on fire. And it all started down in the basement. We had an old ringer washing machine. How many remember those things? And something in the electric motor part of it sparked and it started shooting off sparks and it ignited something in that old farmhouse. And th those were my first memories. I remember the fire trucks coming up. I remember smoke billowing out. Um, I actually remember uh, trying to run back in the house because it was a cold, somewhat rainy day and I wanted to go in and get my shoes. And uh, it was a fireman that actually got me and kept me from going back in. Um, a little spark. Behold how greater matter a little fire kindleth. So we all have these things. We all, we all mess up. We all say things we shouldn't say. And, and you know what it's like. Sometimes the words come out of your mouth and you wish you had not said it, but it's really hard to get them back in, isn't it? Okay? David, understanding that, made the statement, part of his prayer in Psalm 17, three, I am purposed that my mouth 
shall not transgress. Elsewhere, David said to the Lord, he asked him, he said, set a watch. And he wasn't talking about one of these things. The word watch means a guard. Set a watch before my mouth. Don't let anything come out of here that shouldn't. Barnabas taught these people, he said, purpose in your heart, you're going to cleave to God. Don't, don't drift. Don't slide. Don't coast. Do it on purpose. David teaches us, let's purpose that we're going to talk the way a Christian should talk. That we're not going to make excuses for it. We're not, well, I was mad and you know. No, 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 no. David said, I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. There's a period there in my Bible. Do you have a period there in yours? Notice he didn't put a comma. Unless, of course, unless, of course, I'm provoked, unless, of course, so-and-so says this or somebody does this. No, he just put a period there. No matter what, Lord, I am purposed. My mouth is not going to transgress. Can I get you to hasten on with me? Look, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This theme is found throughout the Bible. I could have several more points to the sermon, but I think for sake of time, we'll allow this one to be the last of them. 2 Corinthians chapter number one. Look at what Paul writes in verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. Boy, having a good conscience is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Regrets are mighty hard things to live with. Paul's rejoicing, he said, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation. The word conversation isn't just talking about our dialogue, the words we speak. He's talking about the way we live. It encompasses our entire life. By the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Paul is saying, we're just thankful today. We got a clear conscience that we have yielded to the grace of God. We didn't give in to the flesh, not with fleshly wisdom. We've conducted ourselves the way a Christian should to the unsaved world around us and to you within the church. He said, for we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge. We have nothing new here. And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as you've also acknowledged just in part that we are your rejoicing. As much as we rejoice in what God's done in your life, you feel that way about us, even as ye are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's going to go on to talk about how he wanted to see them. And many times he purposed that he would come to them, uh, but he didn't, he wasn't ever flippant about that. Verse 17, when I therefore was thus minded, that I used lightness, or the things that I purpose, there's that word again, do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. You say, what in the world does that mean? He said, it's not like I just flip a coin and say, yeah, let's do this today. He said, that's not how we do things. He said, we don't yield to the flesh. We're not yielding to whims. He said, but it's all about God. It's all about what does God want? It's all about the leadership of the grace of God in our lives. What is Paul saying? He said, I have purposed that my life will be led by the Spirit of God. How many here always feel like reading your Bible? I mean, every day you wake up and you, you just, 
you always feel like reading your Bible. Who are you? One person, I need you to sign my Bible after church because I don't. How many here always feel like passing out a track when God tells you to? How many always feel like being nice to people that aren't nice to you? We're a mess. So if we don't feel like it, are we still expected to do those things? Absolutely. We're not supposed to run by feelings. This flesh that we're trapped in, Galatians put it this way, that the flesh lusteth against the spirit, Holy Spirit, capital S, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one to the other. My flesh doesn't like it when God's working in my heart and I'm yielding to the things of God. My flesh always has a reason why I shouldn't, why I don't want to, and, and, and it's always there. And when, when uh, my flesh is telling me that, that, that I want to do something wrong, the Holy Spirit's saying, no, you don't. That won't please God. You know you shouldn't do that. You know better than that. And this battle is constantly going on. Paul decided in his heart, he said, I have purposed some things. The things that I purpose, I don't do lightly. I have purpose that I'm going to have my conversation in the unsaved world and around you by the grace of God. There's something good to purpose, isn't it? That means I'm no longer drifting and floating on the, the ocean of feelings or circumstances or moods or weather or politics. By the way, if you're waiting for politics to have a good day, you're going to wait until Jesus comes to establish his kingdom because it ain't happened anytime between now and then. That doesn't mean that we, we can't have a good day in the Lord and we can't still be saying God is always good and God is in control and the Most High still rules in the kingdom of men. Paul said, I don't live my life like that anymore. I have purposed, I have purposed that what I do will be led by the Spirit of God. Purposed. Too many of us are drifting. Too many of us are waking up on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night letting our mood or some other thing decide whether or not we're going to go to church. We are, we are uh, letting the people around us determine whether we're going to have a good day, whether we're going to be happy or not. Uh, we're, we're letting our health decide whether we're going to trust God or whether we're going to find a reason to praise God. Uh, we're letting all the wrong things govern us rather than saying, I'm going to purpose in my heart that by the grace of God, I'm going to cleave to him. I don't know about you. I need him now that, more than I've ever needed him. Please don't take this wrong. I know more Bible now than I've ever known in my entire life. I've been studying it longer. I've seen God do more things at this point in my life than on any day prior, but I need God more today than I needed him yesterday. And I find that the older I get, that keeps being true. I need him more than ever. So somewhere along the line, I have to purpose in my heart, I'm gonna cleave to him. I'm gonna cleave to him. I've got the same things pulling on my heart that you have pulling on yours. We need to purpose in our heart that our mouth isn't going to transgress anymore. That the words coming out of here are right in the sight of God. Period. That's how David ended that statement. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Period. We need to purpose in our heart 
that we're going to be led by the Spirit of God. The flesh isn't going to do it anymore. The world's not going to do it anymore. Our friends aren't going to do it anymore. I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. I still remember that day in August 1972 where I knew I needed to get saved. I won't go through the whole thing. You've heard it ad nauseum. I don't mind telling it even if you mind hearing it, but I'm not going to tell the whole thing. All I knew is I'd heard the gospel Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I didn't go forward and get saved. But Thursday, when I got on that bus and rode to church, I had already purposed in my heart that when the invitation was giving, that was the day I was getting saved. I wasn't going to look around to see what the kids around me were doing. That day, I was going to get saved. And by the way, that's the day that I got saved. Shortly after I got saved, I heard about this thing of soul winning and passing out gospel tracts. I was blessed to get saved in part of a church where the teenagers liked going out knocking on doors. Almost all the teenagers worked a bus route. Uh, they were bringing people to church. Uh, they, were, they were giving testimonies uh, Wednesday night in youth group, Sunday night in church, uh, about witnessing to this person, seeing this person get saved. Many times they had one of their converts coming to Sunday school or youth group with them or a youth activity with them. And, and, and I, I heard about this and I realized, man, I'm saved, but I've never won anybody to Christ. And I started going out on Thursday night soul winning. That's when our church had it. And uh, I would go out on Thursday nights and I always went with a mindset, I want to win somebody to the Lord tonight. And I'd come home and, and, and nobody got saved and it started bothering me. I remember going home on Wednesday night after youth group and I'd lay on the top bunk uh, in my bedroom. My brother slept underneath me and I'd just lay there long after I could hear that he had fallen asleep and I'd just be praying, oh God, let me win somebody to the Lord tomorrow. God, please let me win somebody to the Lord tomorrow. I, I went to a public high school. I took gospel tracts with me. I had my Bible with me. And every day I went to school, Lord, I, I want to win somebody to the Lord today. Help me win somebody to the Lord. And I was like that for months and months and months. And by the way, I wasn't just waiting for it to happen. I was passing out tracks to everybody that I saw. I was talking to everybody that I could. I was out on Thursday nights. I was out on Saturday morning bus visitation. I, I was, I had purposed in my heart. I am going to be a soul winner. And one Thursday afternoon in the library at Hemfield High School in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, I got to win a, Lord, a, a young lady, a, one of my friends, her name was Kim to Christ, in the library. And it, next to getting saved, that was the most exciting day of my life up until then. By the way, I've never lost the joy of seeing somebody get saved like that. But I, I'm just telling you, there's no perfect person and I'm not claiming to be one. I'm no super Christian but I know that the important things in my life happen because I purposed that they would. And we need to rise up and stop coasting as a church and as Christians and just say, you know what? God put us here for such a time as this. And it's time that we got serious about serving God and winning people to Christ and bringing people to church and seeing God's church go forward. It ain't going to happen by accident. It's not my job to psych you up about it. It's our job to take the Bible and see that that's how they did it in Bible days. They purposed in their heart. Have a good day on purpose. Can we bow our head for prayer? How many can say, Pastor Bish, I am saved?